Hey everybody, I'm Richard Krause. And this is another episode of Are You Home? I grew up in a tiny little town on the east coast of Canada, just a speck of a place on the map. It had a real It's a Wonderful Life vibe. It was the kind of place you could imagine Beaver Cleaver calling home. One of those towns where the main street really was the main street. That's where everything happened. All the stores and the businesses and things were there. It was where you went to go shopping for everything from groceries to clothes to liquor to fishing lures. The dry cleaner was there next to the fire department. And if you needed your tires adjusted, that's right, you went to the Canadian Tire on Main Street. As kids, we'd often gather at the lunch counter at Stedman's department store to drink swamp water. That's a squirt from every flavor of the soda fountain in one glass. There was even a cemetery on Main Street with graves dating back to the 17th century. All the residential streets branched off from there, and that's where our friends and neighbors lived. Everybody knew one another. It was that kind of town. My dad ran a furniture store. He knew pretty much everyone in town because most everybody had at some point bought a sofa or a microwave or a transistor radio or something from him. It was a social little town where everybody said hello when you passed them on the street. And on Saturdays and Sundays, when my parents weren't working, we used to do what a lot of people down there did. That was go visiting. It's something that people don't do so much anymore, but we'd gather everybody up, get into the car, and then go visiting. Unannounced, we'd go up, we'd knock on somebody's door and say, are you home? There was usually an, are you home? through the front door, and if they said yes, then you went in, you stayed for a cup of tea, if it was a hot day, a lemonade or a beer, and then you moved on. Maybe you didn't stay very long, maybe you stayed all afternoon, but usually you'd hit two or three homes at least when you went out visiting. I don't think that this is something that people do so much anymore. Certainly I don't. I would never arrive at someone's house unannounced unless I had like a million dollar check to give them or a case of beer under my arm as a house gift, something, I don't know. I I would just never do it. But back in those days, it seemed like everyone was sort of more open to that. Now we don't really know our neighbors. A lot of us have been locked up inside for the last year and a half or more. And that has left many of us feeling disconnected. So I wanted to make it easy for us to virtually visit, to make a connection when we're feeling alone or lonely. And so, if Facebook is down and you can't reach anybody via Twitter or WhatsApp or however it is that you socialize these days, if you don't know your neighbors, if you have no one to visit, stick around, because there's always somebody home over here. Oh, there's the doorbell. Can somebody get that? I gotta refill the chip dip. Hey, I think that's Jason Agnew coming in. I listen to his Sunday morning trivia every week on iHeartRadio. It's great stuff. I remember he had a story about a family secret that he wanted to tell me. Jason, what's that story you were going to tell me the other day? So I grew up with cats. I always had a cat in the house. Uh, You know, I was a son to a single mom, and my mom just liked cats. So there are always one there uh, as far back as I can remember. I now don't really care for them. I have a dog, but maybe that's me still rebelling against my youth. Nonetheless, so there was a cat that was around from maybe when I was 
in my late teens into my early 30s or so. So the cat grew quite old, 14, 15 years old. By the end of it, the poor cat was blind, had some kidney problems, and all of a sudden it couldn't walk. So my mom called me after, you know, force-feeding this cat food, force-feeding this cat uh, so many drugs over the years, trying to keep it alive. It came time. And anyone who has pets out there knows that it just does come, come time where you have to put your pet down for the good of the pet. And it's a very sad event. And listen, it was one that was something I didn't want to do, but when it's not your own pet, it's a little less hard. So I took the pet in, put the pet down. Poor cat is down. And my mom is not handling this very well. And um, in order to get a cat cremated, because my mom wanted the ashes, uh, you there there you have to take it out to the uh, Oakville Humane Society. At least at the time, that was where they have a big uh, crematorium there for pets. And uh, there's a couple different ways that you can have your pet cremated. Uh, one is uh, it's a, a kind of a, a public thing, uh, meaning that there's a whole bunch of, of pets that have passed that are cremated, and then I guess you can have some of the ashes that are maybe your pet or maybe other people's pets. It's kind of weird, right? Um, and then there's a private uh, cremation as well, which is more expensive, but, you know, uh, that's what my mom wanted. And in this case, obviously, everyone's full of emotion because the poor cat died. I, I said, don't worry, I'll drive the cat out to Oakville and I'll take it to the crematorium and uh, have the cat uh, cremated. And then uh, we'll then pick it up. So anyway, I take it out and I, and I drop the, uh, the, the cat off. And they say, we'll call you when this transpires. Um... So they do. They call me in about a week or so, and I'm able to go pick up the cat. It was a time in my life where I was very busy. I was working a full-time job plus two other jobs, and uh, it, it took me a while to get there, probably about three weeks or so. So I then went to back to the crematorium, and I said, hey, um, you know, this is my name. This is the pet that I'm going to be picking up. And the lady said, okay, sure, no problem, sir. Uh, you can... Uh, just wait here, and I'll go get uh, go get the little urn uh, with the uh, with the cat's ashes in it. I said okay. And when she came back, she had a really weird look on her face. I said, uh, "So, sir, I'm just curious. Um, could anyone else have picked this up?" I said, "What? She's like, maybe did your mom come by and pick it up?" I said, absolutely no. Like, so we don't, we don't have the ashes. What do you mean you don't have the ashes? Yeah, we don't, um, we, 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 we don't know where the ashes are. So now in my head, I have a, a couple different scenarios here. Um, the one I opted for was uh, to say to this poor lady, who obviously felt bad. Clearly there was some sort of clerical error. I don't know if they just, if the ashes weren't put into the urn and put aside. They have, they have no record of where these ashes are. So uh, I uh, am not going to tell my heartbroken mom about this. So instead I just said to the poor lady behind the counter, and I was a little upset on behalf of my mom, I said, you... We'll do the following right now. 
you will get an urn. You will put some ashes in that urn. You will never speak of this again. Along with that, you will, cre- you will give me the money back and I will donate it to a humane society that is not this humane society. She said, we understand. We've made a terrible mistake. This will not be in our records and we will tell no one. So to this day, no one has been told. Well, I guess they have now. Um, but the most important person, being my mom, does not know this story. There is, however, an urn somewhere in her house with the ashes of someone else's pets. (laughs) And it's best to stay that way. So please don't tell anyone, especially my mom. Thanks. No, thank you, Jason. It's a great story. But don't worry, your secret is safe with me. I don't know how your mother would ever find out about this. Oh, look, it's my friend Ariana Pauswali over by the dance floor. She loves Labyrinth, the movie with David Bowie. It's one of her favorites. Anyone who appreciates the movie Labyrinth will hopefully enjoy this story. So in 2007, my friend Val was hosting the Art Bar Poetry Series at Clinton's on Bloor Street in Toronto. He invited me to perform some of my poetry with two iconic poets that night. One was Kenneth Sherman, and the other was beloved children's author, Dennis Lee. In front of the audience, Val uh, mentions my obsession with the movie Labyrinth. So yes, I am one of those people who loves the movie Labyrinth. As a kid, I spent endless hours reenacting scenes and impersonating characters. I danced to the soundtrack like my life depended on it. I consider myself a mega fan. You know, I had the VHS tape, the DVD, the special edition DVD, the posters, the dolls, the t-shirts, and of course the soundtrack. However, the one thing I could never find was the soundtrack on vinyl. So Val knew this. And uh, leading up to the show, by chance, he found the uh, record at a shop on Queen Street. And so he bought it for me and presented it on stage that night. You know, it made me feel like I was receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award or something. So after the show, Dennis Lee comes up to me and asks to see the back of my record. So I show it to him. He then points to his name in the credits. Dennis Lee co-wrote the screenplay with Jim Henson, and I had no idea. I've been a fan of this movie for my entire life and had no idea about Dennis Lee's connection to the film. Dennis graciously signed my record, and it's now, or has been, proudly framed in my home since then. Wow, that's a fun story. But let's leave Ariana to do her dance, magic dance on the dance floor. Let's have a look around, see who else is here. Hey, there's comedian Simon Rockoff. Simon, Simon, over here, it's Richard. Hey, the last time I saw you, you weren't feeling great. Are you feeling better? Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm pretty much back to normal. It's kind of amazing. You know, they have the special hernia clinic up on Bayview there, so I went there. You're awake for the whole procedure. 
they just do a local anesthetic, so you don't feel any pain, but you can feel them tugging while they're sewing up your guts. And then you walk off the table after. Spend a week there with other hernia patients. They ask at the meal, what do you do? I said, I'm a comedian. They're like, oh my God, don't make us laugh. They said, everybody be nice and nobody gets hurt. But as you know, at the time, Susie is like eight and a half months pregnant, almost ready to drop. We go shopping for groceries. And because I have just had hernia surgery, I'm not allowed to lift anything. They say, just take it real easy for a while and don't do anything stupid. So we're shopping. I look normal, but I've just had surgery. She's a house at this point in the pregnancy and has to do everything. So people are watching us shop and I'm just walking alongside while she's lifting everything and taking everything and pushing the cart. And the dirty looks people are giving me are just hilarious. Now, most people would be embarrassed, but you know me. I can't help myself. So I start yelling at her. Come on, let's go. That case of apple juice isn't going to lift itself. And she's laughing hysterically, which just makes her look more abused to people looking on. It was very funny. <laughs> Thanks for that, Simon. I'm glad you're feeling good enough to lift your own damn case of apple juice. I remember what I wanted to tell you. You know, last week I went to a show at Massey Hall and it reminded me of a concert that I went to like years ago there and I wanted to tell you that story. You know what Massey Hall is, right? It is a legendary place. And long before I moved to Toronto and discovered the pleasures of actually going to Massey Hall in person, which of course was always followed by a drink at the Silver Rail afterwards, I knew a lot about the place. Like every other 14-year-old boy in Nova Scotia, I owned a copy of the Rush live album, All the World's a Stage, and I poured over those lyrics and crazy drum fills. And of course, the liner notes, recorded at Massey Hall. Man, that must be a heck of a place, I thought. Cut to years later. I worked as a bartender nearby, and I walked past Massey Hall and its famous mustache stairs, these crazy stairs that put you in the mind of, of a cartoon villain's mustache, every night to get home, and I walked through the gauntlet of scalpers that littered Shooter Street on show nights. Now, if I'd had a good day at work, I'd pick up a ticket, usually five or 10 minutes before showtime, and I could get one for 10 or $20 from a scalper looking to dump whatever inventory they had left. From the Stray Cats to Split Ends to Charlie Pride and Hal Roach, I saw some of the best shows of my life at Massey Hall. By October 1987, I had worn out my copy of Tom Waits's Rain Dogs. To me, it sounded like, I don't know, like jarring Jacques Brel from outer space, or the echo of Captain Beefheart in the bottom of an empty whiskey glass. However you describe the indescribable sound, it spoke to me. And when his show was announced for October 6th and 7th, I just knew that I had to have tickets. Trouble was, my James' last loving father was coming for a visit that weekend. 
I hadn't seen him for a while, but I was not missing that show. So I blew the bank and I picked up four tickets. He and his wife had no idea who Tom Waits was, and I knew that if he listened to Rain Dogs beforehand, there'd be no way to get him to the show. So I said, he has a raspy voice, kind of like Louis Armstrong. From the opening notes of Hang On St. Christopher to Time, the lyrical closing number, the show was abrasive and beautiful, drunk and disorderly. Waits was magnificent. Pausing every now and again to grab an adult beverage from the onstage drink fridge, it blew my mind. The band played instruments I'd never seen on stage before, and in person, the music had even more personality, more humor, more grotesque theatricality than on the records. It was cabaret from the wrong side of the track, and I was entranced. Later, over post-show drinks at where else, the Silver Rail, I asked my dad if he enjoyed the show. Son, my shell-shocked dad said, that did not sound like Louis Armstrong. I don't think my dad ever completely recovered from that show. Uh, we never really spoke of it again, but it remains one of the best concerts that I've ever seen anywhere. Oh, hey, look, Stuart Reynolds, a.k.a. Brittle Star, a.k.a. the Internet's favorite dad is here. He always has a great story, and it looks like he's brought his bagpipes, too. My dad's mom was wild. She was like this tiny Glaswegian woman who was probably about four foot five on her driver's license. She never drove. And maybe like three foot two in real life. It was hard to tell. Um, she wasn't technically a little person, but she was very, very small. And, uh, you know, I would give her rides to uh, the bingo and I, I would coordinate it so that I could give her a ride dependent upon when her pension came in. So we had some very lovely quality moments, quality time as grandmother and grandson whenever her pension came in. Because um, her stuff would be paid, it was all good. And then she'd have some extra money and she'd take me for lunch. And then she'd be like, can you give me a ride to the bingo? Give me a ride to the bingo. Absolutely grand, not a problem. Drive her to the bingo and she'd slip me 20 bucks. So I'd come away with free lunch and at least 20 bucks, which was pretty decent. And the, as it got on, I got a little bit more money and I started to feel guilty. So I stopped asking for money or I gave some of it back. Not all of it, some of it. Anyway, so this one time she's, uh, so she's this crazy woman. And she, I remember one time she actually dropped some, her money as I dropped her off at the bingo. And she was so tiny, such a tiny Glaswegian woman. I was driving her in a Hyundai hatchback, a small hatchback. And I, I stop at the bingo hall. I, I, stop there so she can get out and she's like I can't I can't get out right now I can't get out because I've lost my money I don't know where my money I was holding a bunch of money and a whole bunch of bills and I don't know where they are like you know like $20 bills and stuff so she goes all I can see is in the rearview mirror she's walking back and forth just the top of her head walking like standing and walking back and forth in the back of this, this hatchback trying to find this money that she's dropped she eventually finds it that's good but the actual story I want to tell that was just to set her up is that she was, uh, you know, when she did, she didn't do well. She had Alzheimer's near the end. She wasn't doing well. She was wandering and all that kind of stuff, which is sad. But there are moments of of hilarity that that come along with that, and this is one of them. She was admitted to hospital. I think she had fell or something. The classic situation. And when she went into the hospital, uh, they're doing the admission thing, but she's in a bed already and. Uh, and the nurse comes into her and says, now, uh, Mrs. Reynolds, do you wear dentures? 
And uh, my grand says, I? And the nurse says, oh, okay, all right. Uh, uh, and she looked at my gran and evidently wasn't, didn't have any teeth in, so she wasn't wearing her dentures. She said, oh, uh, Mrs. Reynolds, where do you keep your dentures? And she said, oh, I keep them in my, in my purse. Keep them in my handbag, just in case. You never know when you're going to need them. And the nurse is a little bit perplexed, and my dad's there. My dad's a bit perplexed, like, what the hell's happening here? And she says, uh, so, you, sorry, your dentures are in your handbag? Aye, you never know. It's, uh, I've got my good ones in there. They're really good. They're, they're red and sparkly. Excellent. You know, you never know when the slosh is going to kick off and you're going to have to be on your toes, ready to go. My dad clues into what's happening and he says, Ma, she said dentures, your false teeth, not dance shoes. Oh, I thought she said dance shoes. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. No, I want my, my dentures and my dance shoes are both in my handbag. Aye. That's a great story. It also reminds me of one of life's great lessons. Always know where your dance shoes are. And that reminds me of a joke. How many dance teachers does it take to change a light bulb? Five, six, seven, eight. All right, that's the worst joke ever. So probably it's time to say goodbye. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. I want to thank Jason, Ariana, Simon, uh, Brittle Star, and you for hanging out with me today. I really enjoyed our virtual visit. I hope you did too. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. We'll talk again soon. <laughs>